This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, tonight, we're going to talk to one of our most celebrated actors. Gabriel Byrne has won a Golden Globe. He started in the Reardons and Bracken on RTE and has gone on to work with some of the greatest actors and work with also some of the great directors. Uh, John Borman in Excalibur, Defense of the Realm, Miller's Crossing, Usual Suspects, and the Golden Globe he won for In Treatment, which was a huge success for HBO. And it's a pleasure to welcome him to the stand. He's written a memoir. It's a superb piece of work. Extraordinary, really. Gabriel, it's a superb piece of work. How difficult was it to go back to your past? The title, Walking with Ghosts, is very apt. How difficult was it for you to decide to go back to the painful past and to evoke times when you were essentially a street kid. Mm, yeah, it, it's, um, I, I think um, all of us live to a great extent in the past and we also live in the future. But what's difficult to do is to live absolutely in the present. I find that the great challenge. Um, to go back into the past and see how the events sometimes uh, events that you didn't recognize or uh, identify at the time, how those events, cultural, social, religious, familial, how they informed the person that you become uh, in in later life is something that always has interested me. And uh, it wasn't wasn't difficult uh, to look back. What I wanted to try to do was... um, evoke honestly as honestly as i could um the world that i was brought up in so that it could contrast with the world that i live in today and that may that um to speak for that generation through my own uh experience 
Um, a memoir, um, as you know, Eamon, is it's it's a very different creature from a novel because in a novel it seems to me that you can hide behind characters yes. and give him a bit of that and give him to say that and so forth, and you're you're pulling the strings to a certain extent. An essay uh, kind of uh, distances you from the subject matter, but when you when you describe events through the filter of your own emotions. You're confronted on every page with, is this the truth? Is this honest? Do I put this down? Do I say it? And I always thought that there's no point in writing something like this unless you are going to be honest. And um, I believe that by being honest, uh, you have more of a chance of connecting emotionally with people than if you uh, fudge and you become kind of... um, you, you know, you, you you want to make it something that it isn't. Because the mem- memory itself is a very unreliable narrator. It's a very, it's a very fractured thing. Yes. And um, sometimes the, the line between imagination and memory is very, very thin. But as much as I could possibly do it, um, I started off with the idea that um, we remember things in images to a great extent. Um, and so images lead to emotion. And I thought that if I, if I can just get some of these images down, images in imagination and memory are connected. So I started from that point of view to create a kind of a sensual, I don't mean sexual, but a sensual experience of what it was like to be alive at that time. Yes. And I wonder what you may have not so much discovered about yourself, Gabriel, but how much pain or remorse uh, struck you when you looked at some of the, um, the really bad moments in your life, particularly in the seminary where you went when I think you were 12. You evoked that frighteningly, really, the horror of it, and yet the sort of ostensible normality of it. Was it really, did it hit you again when you started to write this? Um, No, the simple answer is no, no, it didn't. Um, What I wanted to do was to try to explore the world from a a child's point of view. And one of the one of the gifts and also uh, one of the obstacles of being a child is that you don't really know what's going on. You don't have a clear picture of uh, authority, for example. Authority was there to tell you what to do. Um, I found authority very difficult to deal with when I was at school because I felt, looking back in this uh, reminiscence or recollection, that the authority that I was subjected to wasn't about the empowerment of my identity as a person. It was about the deconstruction of my identity as a person. So I I was told, this is what you have to believe. This is what you have to do. Whether you understand it or not, you have to do it. And you don't ask whether it's right or wrong. You just do it. And that authority was needed dealt with a certain degree of cruelty. And um, it was wrapped in fear and shame. So when um, when I was growing up, the great places of escape for me were 
the church, which seemed to me to be like a fairy tale place where your imagination could take wing and you are given very simple answers uh, to very complex questions. The other place was the cinema where you could go and again, you could be transported into this place where, you know, reality didn't didn't enter. And the other place was uh, in, in, in sports, listening to um, um, football matches on the radio, but also playing imaginary cup finals and yes. World Cups <laughs> on, on the footpath. Yes. Like, um, we dived on concrete. Uh, we played in, um, in snow. The urge to play the game, to imagine that you were yes. playing at Old Trafford or whatever was so uh, seductive that it took you way out of the realm of reality. And reality for me was always difficult, the isness of the situation. And I fled into the church, into the cinema, and into sports to get away from uh, the grayness of um, of reality. And so when I went to that seminary, I was presented with authority in the form of uh, men of God. Now that, 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 that's a double whammy, because it wasn't just a teacher telling you something to do or, yeah. your, or your parents. This was a man of God who was called by God. So everything that he had to say had to be right, had to be something that you just didn't question. Um, what I tried to capture in that, uh, which I remember very vividly, is the language of seduction. I've never actually seen that written down before, how a predator goes yeah. about seducing, um, you know, an innocent. Yes, and he takes you to uh, his study uh, mm -hmm. and he gives you drink. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, remarkably, and it's one of many, many striking uh, images in this beautiful book, when you're okay and your life is together, you, you, you ring him. Uh, and uh, eventually you get through and you challenge. Well, you don't challenge him. You just ask him if he remembers you. Uh, and I, I thought that was a remarkable thing to do, a brave thing to do. Um, and his response, as you describe it in the book, uh, is kind of creepy, uh, but... It's striking and noteworthy that you don't hate him at that moment. You you actually put a line in. The line is, you know, you feel he's an old man. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if you feel sorry for him. Yeah. Um, I think I, I didn't realize at the time that what I was doing was in any way unusual or courageous or anything. I needed to know the answer. And it was... It was in the realm of memory. Do, do, do you remember me? Yes. Because I've never forgotten you. But what, what, what the phone call taught me more than anything, which is a truism about life, I think, there are things that don't have a resolution and we have to accept that they can't be resolved. Uh, people who lose somebody suddenly in an accident or something have to live with um, um, a lack of resolution. Fiction, plays, novels, films teach us 
that there's a there's an obstacle the obstacle is overcome and there's a resolution at the end and that's how we, we that's why we go we are drawn to fiction but reality is something different it doesn't have to be an answer no absolutely it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com since 2013 bombas has donated over 100 million socks underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Uh, the other striking figure, or one of many striking figures, uh, is a girl, a young girl, and you are yourself young, called, you call her, she calls herself, in fact, the Grease Monkey. This is when, mm-hmm. uh, I think when you were setting out to be a plumber, but mm-hmm. it's very much a street kid story. Uh, you are mates, mm-hmm. you are pals, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you describe in the book something many of us would be able to identify with you really it wasn't sexual the relationship Mm -hmm. and yet the other guys on the street uh, thought it should be or would be or was and you went along with their idea and they said did you ride her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you said yes Mm -hmm. they taunted her and you lost that person. And she she's mm. a recurring character in the book. You go back to her uh, later in the book. This is a story, of course, against yourself. Uh, it's a very mm-hmm. searing honesty, but it also um, underlines how hurt somebody can be uh, when you betray them. Yes, it, it, it's essentially about betrayal. And um, how you betray uh, people uh, who is worth to you 
uh, you don't question and take for granted. And it's only when you betray them that you realize how uh, how deep and meaningful their their presence in your life yes. is. I, I I betrayed her for a quick and easy acceptance into a group of guys who thought of her as a slag. Yes. Um, and they, they were incredibly cruel when they described her and in the way that young, uh, young boys can be. Uh, and the idea was that by, by, in the way that sex was presented at that time, you got something from her or you put something over on her. It wasn't anything shared. So you did it, you got it, and you put her in her place. Well, in order to win the acceptance of the crowd, I said that I had. But actually, we weren't sexually attracted to each other. We were friends, mates. And And you you met her uh, or encountered her on a couple of a few occasions subsequently, and she mm. just blanked you. Mm-hmm. Which, she did, and, and yeah. um, I, remember, I remember at the time feeling conflicted about that, saying, why is she so, what's, what's her problem? Well, of course, in the arrogance of youth, you don't understand how you can deeply hurt uh, another person. And um, the, 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 the point of the story is that a betrayal like that never actually leaves you. And how yes. do you face up to it to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that? Because we've all, we all understand what betrayal is. And sometimes we betray ourselves as, whether, uh, as well as other people. But the song that we used to sing together in that rusty old car, which was a Marty Robbins song yes. about uh, the streets of Laredo, some people might remember it. But I was wa- memory is a tripwire. You're walking along among Christmas trees in Brooklyn many, many, many years later, and, and, and that song came out from a, a little transistor that a guy was uh, sitting beside. And I thought, oh, my God, that's, that's the song. Yes. And the point I wanted to make was that, again, with memory, the songs that mean so much to us when we're growing up and that impinge themselves on our consciousness will break your heart later on when yes. you listen to them because you don't really understand what the effect of that was on your inner self. So I, I grew up with the Beatles. And to be absolutely honest, Damon, I find it hard to believe, I hard I find it hard to listen to the Beatles now because the influence of their music on me in that coming awake time yes. was so profound that listening to it now, I see and hear my younger self um, not really understanding why I was singing those songs. But now when I think about a song like I was just thinking about this the other day because I sometimes use uh, those songs to uh, to remind myself. If you think about a song like "Help," yes, I need somebody, yes. not just anybody. Yes, help. Yes, when I was young and so much younger than today, I didn't need anybody's help in any way. Yeah. But now those days are gone. I feel so insecure. Won't you please, please help me? What an amazing song that is. And so many of us are afraid to reach out for help. At 23 and 24, they were downloading that from somewhere in the ether and putting it into beautiful music. Now, when I heard that song uh, of the Streets of Laredo in Brooklyn, 
I understood with a swell of emotion in that moment that I could never listen to that song again because that song was now about how I had betrayed her. And um, I'm not proud of the fact that I betrayed her, but we all commit greater and smaller betrayals throughout our lives. And sometimes we get away with them and sometimes we don't. Yes, that's that's really why I wanted to ask you about what you discovered about yourself. I, I wrote a memo myself uh, two or three years ago and I um, it made me sad um, <clears throat> uh, in a way that... Um, you sad a bit a bit guilty in the way mm. that I had um I'd got gone to England I left my family a small family one one brother and m- mum and dad and when I came to write about them recently I felt that I'd been a bad son and mm. that I'd gone to the big world I'd lapped it up uh, mm. And some part of me was gone, a very important part of me. And you've made much mm. of the same journey in a way, away from Ireland, away from family. Um, and I wonder if you felt that. Yeah, it's a good it's it, it's a good observation, Eamon, because I think that I wonder where that sense of not being good enough comes from, yes. of being guilty about who you were, even though if you really examine the evidence, you're only as aware as you can be aware. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think you set out to say, well, you know what, uh, I'm the parents can go uh, sink or swim because I'm, I'm uh, going to have a good life. Um, it's inevitable that we pass out our parents yes. and we leave them behind in one form or another. Um, and, and, and they do disappear out of our lives. The title of the book is called Walking with Ghosts. Yes. And in the end, I said in the, in the conversation, the imaginary conversation with my mother, was I a good enough son? Yes. Did I close the door on you when you most needed me? Yes. Was I afraid that you would suck my soul if I if it suck my soul out of me if I let you? Yes. Um, I think that we as Irish people or as Catholics or whatever, because Catholicism and the culture are kind of mixed up together. But why do we give ourselves such a hard time um, through guilt about the kind of people that we were? Because one of the one one of the things that I was able to do in this book was to listen to my father's voice yeah. and to listen to my mother's voice and to hear that they would have understood yes. uh, who I became and they would have been happy that I became the person I became. Yes. And their world uh, was a world that um, I'm sure, like yours, was th- their roles were prescribed for them. You went to work, you came home with the wage package, you put it on the mantelpiece, you got a few quid for cigarettes and a drink, and you worked. And yeah. then you retired, and the mother took care of the house and fed everybody. And at the end, I thought to myself, was that enough for them? Was w- yeah. was that life enough? Yes. Could they have been more than that? Would they have thrived in a different culture, in a different, uh, with a different kind of uh, impetus in the, in their lives? And um, I remember once I was in uh, 
in in Malibu in in Los Angeles, and somebody said to me, "Oh, you should go and see this guy. Um, he's an amazing healer." I, people, you know, they're always saying that in LA. Yeah. But anyway, this guy, I, I went down to see this guy. Uh, candles and incense, and you know, a robe on. Him. And he said, "Okay, I want you to lie on the table and breathe and let everything go." And I lay and I, you know, I, I relaxed. And then he started to work on my neck and my, my shoulders and my head. And I was absolutely shocked to realize that I was becoming emotional. Yeah. And I thought, why the hell am I becoming emotional? Yeah. Why is this? And I realized that this was an experience that my father or mother would never have been exposed to, yeah. ever, to be touched in a healing way yeah. by a stranger. Yeah. So it was an example to me of the world that they didn't have. Okay, they had great things in one way, but I often wonder who would my mother have been if she if she'd lived yeah. somewhere else, or my father, and who indeed would I have been if I had not left um, at that time, and why did I go? Yes. In your case, I can understand that the greatest, like I mean, the most fantastical dream that I had as a, as a young kid growing up was not to play for Manchester United, to get to see a game at Old Trafford, never yeah. mind play for Manchester United. Yeah. Mind you, I played for United many, many times yeah. in the back garden. But yeah. um, it was the fulfillment of a fantasy uh, to, 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 to go to Manchester United for, for you, I'm sure. But yes. for me, I never thought I would ever end up in Hollywood. I went into amateur drama because uh, I didn't know what to be doing with myself at night and I had to stay out of the pubs. So I didn't set out to say, well, this is what I'm going to be. But I did feel that guilt that you're talking about. But what yes. I do now say to myself is no more guilt. Yes. Because the one thing that's absolutely useless in life, that, saw, that serves no function whatsoever is guilt. Because it hands you a big whip to lacerate yourself with for no uh, no obvious uh, result. What is it that keeps us doing that? Because we have this sense that we don't deserve it. You're getting above your station. You should have done this. You should have done that. And you're not supposed to be doing... Well, who are those voices? Yeah, well, it's... Because now when I... When, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Andy. No, Sorry. I was just going to say, Gabriel, you know yourself, the big Rogers around this place. Who do you yes. think? Who does he think he yes. is? Who uh, does he think he is? Yeah. It is a it is a feature of a mm. small place, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it is. And and the, I was going to ask you um, about the kind of you live uh, in the United States now, and I just wonder if there's a, a an incredible freedom there uh, that you can. I I mean, we're all watching the Trump show, of course, but mm. you can still. Uh, the Americans seem to believe they never say who does he think he is they they mm-hmm. think go for it mm-hmm. is that a discernible difference between Ireland and America um, yeah 
That's a good question, Eamon. But I don't, I, I don't know that I believe in absolutism anymore. Right. Um, I don't believe, I don't believe that everybody in in Dublin is a big grudger. Though, having said that, there's a fair amount. Of I think the day, we have got a few know. mutual friends <laughs> we could put on the right. list. But right. We won't. right. You, you haven't, you haven't really lived till you walked past you fellas <laughs> in the doorway in yeah. Dublin, standing outside the pub having a smoke. <laughs> Uh, to, to, to try to figure out what they're saying about you as you walk past. But um, I think... Um, it just seems yes, that, is it? That, that in Ireland, it, it's not like that now because of you and Bono and uh, Geldof, all kinds of people who have gone mm. on and done amazing things, amazing mm. work. Uh, it's much more possible now than it used to be. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the begrudgery thing is not... So bad, but it's mm. it, it, it's around. Let me ask you, um, Gabriel, about uh, addiction, and I don't want to dwell on that as if that's who you are. But mm. the reason I want to ask you, you vividly describe in the book uh, moments when you were drinking too much; it was destroying your life, and you conquered it. And m- most people, many people, don't. Can you trace it back to, say, the abuse, or is that just too simplistic? I, I think that's, I, I don't think there's a connection there. There may be, but I can't, I can't honestly say I connect one uh, with, uh, with the other. Um, I do believe that certain people have a propensity to be addicted. They can be addicted to um to a fly crawling up a wall. I mean, if you have an addictive personality, yes. and, th- and that has been very well documented um, in in the world of um, psychology, there are people who have addictive personalities and people who don't. That addiction comes out, and it doesn't matter whether you're, uh, uh, you know, whether you've had a wonderful childhood or not. There are people for whom the dopamine, yes release in the brain is connected with uh with the the act of reward so i'll have a cigarette i'm on the phone oh oh, yeah that was a bit stressful i'll have a cigarette (laughs) oh i'm meeting your man for a drink i'll have a cigarette that's addiction yes and uh alcohol is an addiction too i would say more of an less an addiction than an allergy an allergic reaction to uh to alcohol and uh, i would say that the reason i drank was not just because i have an addictive personality which i do have i try to channel it now into positive addiction uh nothing too mad but kind of keeping it positive but um I drank because reality was very difficult for me to uh, to deal with. Um, re- reality is difficult. Uh, getting through life on a daily basis for uh, most people is tough. Yeah. And so I didn't want to be in that struggle. So uh, most of the time, the isness of life, you know, uh, give me this, that will take me out of it. Because the peculiar thing about addiction or, 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 you know, say drinking, is that you wake up the next morning with a desperate hangover. Even that is a form of taking you out of reality. Yes. Because you have to deal with the hangover and you say, oh, Jesus, where did I go? Like, what was I doing? Oh, God, no, not again. Yeah, like, a nice, all that stuff. A nice story in the book. <laughs> I, I think you were coming to the end of your drinking days when you wake up uh, beside a nice girl and, <laughs> and she walks out the door but um, mm. 
that can happen too. Uh, the book is this, uh, uh, a writer who I have great respect for. He's a brilliant writer, Colin McCann, has described mm. Walking with Ghosts uh, as a masterpiece. And I think mm. it is a masterpiece. Um, and I would have liked, uh, I, would, I, I want to ask you about h how brilliantly you've written, knowing how difficult it is to write. Are you encouraged to think there may be a Walking with Ghosts 2? Um, I, don't, I don't think uh, it, there's a Walking with Ghosts 2, but what it, what it has given me is a kind of confidence to say, you, you can do this and you, and, and you can write. And um, I, I'm working at the moment on, and I, you know, I, I don't say too much because people are always working on things. And, yeah. you know, Dublin was full of people with novels sticking out <laughs> of their pockets, yeah. that, you know. And, um, but, but I think that there are themes that I can write about. And, and the book that I'm writing about now, uh, I'm, you know, somewhat into this novel it's about some of the things that we've talked about it's about what home is yeah and and it the prose in the book is beautiful it's simple uh there's not a, a bad line in it uh and that is a very very difficult thing uh, to do um and i want to congratulate you and say to our audience that uh this is a book everyone should really buy now that's a cliche but it's a beautiful mm. book. Uh, it's a simple read. It's an enjoyable read. And it's very, very funny in many, many places uh, for all kinds of reasons. One of them being um, when your brother got you a job working in the kitchen at one of the hotels in town and you, mm. got, you got rid of the bride's <laughs> cauliflower. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but the finally, before you go, the... Living in the United States at the moment and watching the way the United States is, the, the polarization there uh, politically, uh, and you've been living there for a long time, is it changing, Gabriel, and is it troubling for you? Well, that's a good question. I would say, booking the trend of, of, of popular kind of conception, I don't believe that America is as divided as uh, it's made out to be. Um, if you take um, a survey of people, whether they're Democratic or Republican supporters, who are on the ground, I mean by you know working class, uh, yes. middle class people, they all want the same thing. They want Medicare. They want their kids to be educated. They want the minimum wage. They want to be not trapped by student debt. Those parties both know that, yet they will not deliver it to them. It, the, the real battle in America is going to be over the next four years, and it's yes. not just going to be about the Democrats versus the Republicans. It's going to be for the consciousness uh, of the Democratic Party itself, because the old guard like Schumer and Pelosi and Clinton and Obama and, and even Biden himself, yes. they are what you might call the um, the establishment corporate Democrats. And they've shut down Bernie Sanders and they're shutting down AOC yes. because they regard they were they regard them as radicals. Now, if if they don't make an effort, a real effort, and I doubt that they will 
to get back those 73 million votes that Trump took off them. Yeah. And those people were promised hope and change in 2008. And the reason they voted for Trump in 2016 wasn't because they were Egypt's. They voted for Trump because what had been promised them for eight years was not delivered. Yes. And America was in a war- much worse position economically than it had been before. So you talk to an ordinary guy in the street and he'd say, I'm losing money every day. I'm working three jobs. When is this going to happen? So Trump rides in like Elmer Gantry and says, <laughs> I can do it. Follow me. Yeah. And they all say, yeah, he'll do it because he's... Well, of course, he sold them a false bill of goods as well. But the idea that Biden is going to reverse everything in four years is nonsense because he can't do that. And he's going to find huge objections on the Senate and House floor to any kind of meaningful legislation. And the only thing he can really do is uh, change some surface thing by executive order in the first 100 days. But I think that the economic system that prevails in America, which nobody ever talks about here, is a fundamentally uh, um, unjust one. And it's the the power of neoliberal economics, uh, as espoused by Milton Friedman, and, you know, uh, the trickle-down effect. Money does not trickle down. It trickles into accounts in the Seychelles. It does not trickle (laughs) down to people in in Philadelphia. And the neoliberal view, economic view of the world is essentially this, the enrichment of the few at the expense of the many. And that division that you're talking about in America is a false one. And it's exploited by these parties, aided and abetted, by the by the media uh, the media both right and left um so that's that's my take on it and i think that uh, the, the 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 avalanche of propaganda that masquerades as news yes. you hear people exchanging viewpoints with each other and all they're really doing is is exchanging propaganda from one side yes. or the other yes. the big picture the facts never get a look in. The presidential election did not address one topic that meant anything to anybody on, on the ground. And if you talk about the battle for the soul of America and healing it, that means nothing to people. No. Just like the glass ceiling meant nothing to people and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump despises working class people. Hillary Clinton despised them. And you have to say that there's a real possibility that the Democratic and Republican Party despise their working class and middle class uh, uh, voters. People have become enriched through the Democrats and the Republicans. But we have to listen to those people on the ground. We have to listen to OAC and and the the squad and, and, and those people because what we think is the news is not the news. Six major corporations own all the information yeah. outlets in the state, and they have a political agenda, and they know how to present it, and they present it in the form of like, why are people still talking about Donald Trump's hair, the toilet paper on his shoe, is Melania imprisoned, is Jared Kushner, has he no charisma? These are things that don't matter. Yeah. What really matters are the issues, the real issues that affect people's lives. And it's the same thing in Ireland. 
it's the same thing in Britain. You know, it's bumbling Boris and did Leo say this? And that's, yep. that's not what it's about. Information and politics are now so welded together that what matters is how charismatic or good looking or what kind of a bullshit quote yes. you can give to the papers. That's what going to, what's going to get you elected. Okay, Gabriel, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Reading the book was beautiful experience. It's superb. It's published uh, by Picador. It's called Walking with Ghosts. It really is a very, very special book. So if you know someone or love someone, buy it for them uh, for Christmas. We're grateful to Gabriel for joining us, to you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.